Welcome to the Midwest Angler Podcast. I'm Scott Sturman, and I'm joined by Matt Deitch. Episode 39. 39. It's finally officially older than I am. Yeah. 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 <laughs> it passed me up a long time ago. Well, not a long time ago, but nine weeks ago. But now now we're, now we're we reeled you in. We're going after old man Lorith now. Uh, our old, well, we got a long ways to go there. <laughs> yeah. If we're going to catch up to him, our baby is officially... 39 weeks old yep no we yeah we missed a week or two in there but yeah 39 episodes that's awesome so yeah well we got a lot of rain in the area yeah rain is kind of the key thing the word right now lately i mean we had some severe weather the other night sioux falls had what did they say three three tornadoes yep something like that confirmed touchdown or something like that and they had some significant damage up there i mean luckily it doesn't sound like there was any injuries or any like significant injuries so you know what i think the craziest story that i heard did you read that story about in the avera heart hospital right the surgeons were doing some a surgery on a person and they could hear the tornado going over the hospital and like ripping their roof off and they knew i mean the dudes or the lady i don't know who it was but uh, the patient is laying there on the operating table, and, and they're still operating because yeah, they knew if they left, it, you know, the person right. had gone. Or, I mean, hats That's off crazy. to those people. Yeah, no doubt holy. about it. You don't really think about those things. And the scary thing that, I mean, it's scary anytime it happens, but twice this year we've had the tornado sirens in town go off here and they've both been at like midnight like in the middle of the night i mean that's the scariest part and there's a lot of people like i never heard of them. i slept right through all of it and stuff and you really think about that and especially a big city like sioux falls when people don't know i mean you don't you know it's severe weather but nobody really seemed to know that it was going to be as bad as it was and right like, i think i think we can be thankful that it did happen at midnight though because can you imagine going across 41st Street yeah, there well, in that's Sioux Falls true too. You know, There's, in you know, the middle of the day when, you know, people would have been in Best Buy. People would have been in that right. advanced auto parts they or whatever. been in their vehicles out there on 41st Street. Right. Because even, I mean, it can be raining cats and dogs and lightning and thunder and people, yeah, people they're still got to do what they yeah, got to do. Yeah. So, yeah, that's yeah, it's, crazy stuff. Yes. Uh, yeah, what what they say up in Madison, South Dakota? They had like 12, 13 inches of rain. 12, 13 inches of rain in 48 hours. Oh, wow. Cody Magnuson up there, he he posted some pictures. Uh, he lives there in Madison. He did say that he lives up in the highest spot in the, in the town, so he, he's lucky himself. But yeah, a lot of other people, he, he lives around not, not quite as lucky. Yeah, they, I mean, our river here in town, it was like super low the other day, like almost low. Like, it's like, man, I don't know if we're going to be able to fish it this, you know, this fall, if we're going to be able to get any fall fishing in. And now it's, yeah, it's out of its banks. It's, they're talking, you know, there's a lot of people evacuating your brother. Yep. Just right. I mean, literally 25 minutes ago, I was pulling my, well, I didn't pull him out, but we went out there to his place and. I don't know. I'd say it's got six inches to come up, and it'll be covering the road, so he wouldn't be able to get out. He's got an east or a north-south road there on the north. It's already coming across on the south. It it's not yet, but yeah, probably six inches. When we went up to the north just to check out the water coming across, you should have seen all the mice on the road. <laughs> yeah, I bet they're probably trying to find higher ground. Yeah, it it would have been awesome if there was some largemouth bass in there because I mean they they'd go when you go driving up they'd hop down into the ditch and go swimming in the water and i was just (laughs) waiting for one to hit the top water there but yeah no that ain't well what were you saying you guys drove across and there was like a little trickle of water 
coming across the road. Yeah, when we drove out to the north, uh, we kind of got down into a bottom heading out to the Boone Ranch there, and uh, there was just a little trickle of water coming across, and we got up to the Boone Ranch, turned around, because literally 30 yards farther in the water was really coming across. When we turned around to come back, I'd say it was 30 to 50 yards wide, The the little tr- what was the little trickle, literally 30 seconds prior. Right, yeah, it's, you know... It really sucks. You feel feel for those people. You went back in 2014. You you know what it's all like. Oh to, yeah. There's there's nothing worse than getting flooded out. I mean, and and back in 2014, we me and Kayla and my family, we really got lucky. Uh, my house was built just high enough that it flooded our whole entire basement, but it had about four inches to come up before it would have hit our main floor. And, uh, you know, we had, we had taken everything out of the basement and set it on the main floor and we had just gotten done with a remodel and, uh, yeah, uh, my neighbors were not as lucky. A right. lot of caved in basements and, and my neighbors right to the North of me, they had a house that was on ground level that you didn't take any steps in. They, they lost everything. So, right. And you guys actually had to help rescue some people. Yeah, we did. Yeah, I had a little and... flat bottom boat, uh, out back and. Uh, basically everybody in my neighborhood was all elderly, uh, you know, single ladies. And, uh, yeah, we, me and some firefighters and a couple other people, uh, we brought that flat bottom boat right out there and yeah, I'd say it was a little over hip high and, and yeah, you know, it was crazy cause we're telling them like, Hey, you got to get in the boat. No, <laughs> like, Hey, you don't have a choice. Right. You're, you're either swimming or you're getting in the boat. And yeah. So I, I don't want to come back out. So yeah, hopefully, you know everybody's staying safe and yeah staying on high ground and yeah praying praying for everybody up to the north of us uh east central south dakota i'm i imagine uh you know western minnesota got pounded pretty hard too everybody's everybody's kind of affected by it but yeah uh well on a lighter note we got a really cool episode today uh sure darren jones uh big fin guide service over on the iowa great lakes we've been trying to get darren on for quite a while and it finally worked out uh uh, he's got a cool job. I'm I'm really interested to see what he's got to yeah, say. Yeah, really excited to finally get to kind of have a nice interview with him. See, you bet. I mean, great guy, very active on social media, yep. and he just seems like such a nice professional dude. You know, he he never says anything bad. He doesn't, uh, you know, uh, in in Facebook and and everything else. You know, everybody's got an opinion and and whatever he he just kind of stays pretty even keeled and i you know yeah i don't i don't really know him i think we've been friends with him on facebook for what one or two years but just seems like a cool dude i'm really yeah interested it, i'm really excited finally yeah pumped that we finally are able to finagle our finagle our uh you know our schedules, schedules around right. so that we could finally get to talk to him yeah it's gonna be a good one so yeah we'll head over there hey darren you there man i am how's it going Great. How are you guys tonight? Good. Good to have you on the show finally. Yeah. Fin- <laughs> yeah. Fi- finally got you on, and uh, yeah, just uh, one we've been working on for a while, and yeah, finally, finally got her nailed down. Um, yeah, it is the season for everybody to be busy. So yep, yep. Yeah, life That's happens, right. and yep. So yep. you know, I was going to start off. Uh, you know, aside from a few phone calls, uh, you know, some text messages back and forth, and and interaction on Facebook. I, I feel like I know you. I feel like I should know, you know, like like we're real friends, like right. we've met numerous times. But uh, obviously, uh, 
I haven't. So, uh, right. obviously, uh, from Facebook, I can tell that you're an all-around outdoorsman. You know, you are a fishing guide, but uh, you kind of do a little bit of everything, hunting and, and you know, whatever. Um, where did that yeah, all start? Yeah, I, I do like all the resources, so I try to try to get out there and do a little bit of everything. So, and I have young kids, too, so I like to get them out and get them involved and see some of the things that I grew up seeing, so absolutely where did that all start uh you know where did you grow up and and how did you first get introduced to the outdoors um kind of I, I actually had the floyd river um when i was younger till i was about six years old i had the floyd river in lamar's iowa kind of as my back door um my my father actually had uh homing pigeons um down below our house and then there's some there's some woods and then the floyd river kind of made a turn down there on the northwest corner of town and so he kind of got me into going down there and kind of being somewhat of a river rat, like, you know, obviously catching carp and catfish and catching occasional walleye down there. So that's kind of where I got my first taste of, of fishing. And then, um, his dad, my grandfather did a lot of that too. And, you know, he, there's a lot of times we go to storm Lake as a family or we go to uh, Lake Shatek in Minnesota and, and, uh, there was a lot of summers. So my dad was an elementary principal. So we, every summer he would get invited to a conference at village West. And so we would go there and I'd just fish off the dock cause we didn't have a boat at that time. And I just remember, you know, probably I was like 11 or 12, just looking at the water and realizing how clear that was and how cool of a deal that was. Cause I wasn't used to seeing that in my backyard where it had the chocolate milk look to the river. So that's kind of where it got going for me. And, and you eventually ended up down in Sloan. Yeah. Yep. Sloan, Iowa just kind of at the base of the Lust Hills there by Sioux City. So um, did a lot of a lot of fishing, you know, all, all there's all kinds of farm ponds in that area and, of course, the Missouri River. But I, I mostly bass fished every night, you know, as I got older through high school and my senior year, and I did a lot of that pretty much. Uh, came back in the summertime and, and did some, uh, some summer work in the area in Sioux City and basically spent every – time away from work you know on the water fishing bass that's how i kind of kind of really got going with that and i I just love doing that take my little john boat out and catch bass on top water baits and worms and that kind of stuff so and i would assume you did plenty of hunting down there yeah a lot of uh i got i got into turkey hunting so did a lot of that and started bow hunting after i got out of college probably about uh well 97s kind of when i kind of got going into hunting my dad didn't do a lot of lot of hunting so i kind of was somewhat self-taught and you know met friends along the way who kind of showed me what to do and the do's and don'ts so right on yeah some pretty good area down there for it too yeah it's (laughs) awesome it was it was really cool last night when i was talking to you on the phone uh you know i started telling you uh me and and my brother and a couple buddies go down there and hunt down in that area and uh you knew exactly where i was talking about that you know kind of a small world absolutely um, now, now you guide, uh, big fin guide service on the Iowa great lakes. Um, correct. Now, what, what is your main species that you like to go after? I, I do. I'm not going to lie. I do a lot of bluegill fishing. Um, basically that's because I, I do take a lot of kids and families. And so that's a great way to introduce them, um, kind of set them up for success and keep them excited. Not where they're not bored. They're waiting for the bite. It's, kind of get them on some rapid fire action where they really get a taste for it. And, um, kind of what I do too is, as I, uh, you know, I try to accommodate 
what people that are coming into town, what the customer wants to do. If there's that bite going on, if they're looking for walleye fishing or, or bass fishing, we can tailor it to that too. So I'm not just a pan fisherman per se, but you know, if you look at my Facebook page, we catch a lot of nice bluegills, obviously on uh, West Okaboji. So that's kind of a mainstay, but uh, if someone's looking for something else, we can definitely um, get them into that bite too. So oh, I yeah. love bluegill oh, fishing. Yeah. <laughs> the, in the last few years, yeah. it's really taken off over there. I mean, you're really getting some big quality size ones along with some, you know, the eater size bluegills as well. Absolutely. I know. Yeah, and I mean, when we're recognizing in fishermen as one right. of the top 10 bluegill lakes, I mean, it's, that's pretty cool. I mean, it's Iowa. Yeah. <laughs> People don't, don't look at us as a, good place for a great fishery but we have it so i mean there was a couple of i think pictures i saw that you caught this year or your clients caught that i mean were fat like full of eggs right before the spawn i mean just yeah ridiculously fat how big they were yeah it's crazy how you can you can have a chance to catch catch a fish that's 10 inches or or slightly over we had a couple of those that were over 10 last year and kids caught them so that was the cool part oh, yeah, for me awesome. and you know I'm just a guy who loves the fish at heart, and I like to, to give that passion to the next generation. And, and when we're on those trips, I try to I try to give them something they can take away and use another day, not necessarily if they're going with me, but they can take take that technique to the dock uh, if they don't have a boat or, you know, maybe grandpa or grandma has a dock and, and, and they have a boat and they can take them out and they can use that same tactic out there. So I try to try to give everybody something they can take away maybe if they haven't done before. So. So, so what got you into guiding? Um, I, I took a few people when I was, um, farm pond fishing in the Lust Hills. I, I took some, some younger kids that I knew, um, that didn't get to do a lot of fishing. I took them out and, um, let them catch some bass. And I kind of, kind of was like, yeah, this, this is something I might want to do someday, you know? And, uh, and what really thrusted me into it was, um, my wife's uncle got terminal cancer um, I moved up here full time in 2005 for my job with the Iowa DNR, and uh, he showed me all these different places to fish on the lake. And he he showed me what time of year to go there, and and you know how to catch them in the right, in the right presentation at the right time, and and gave me a wealth of knowledge. And then um, he got terminal cancer, and he had just bought a boat uh, late winter, and he took it to Storm Lake one time, and then he passed away. So for some reason in my brain, I talked to my wife about it. I said, Hey, this is something I want to do. I, I'd like to kind of continue his legacy of what he showed me and keep this boat on the lakes that he fished. And so, uh, I was lucky enough to purchase that boat and, uh, I still have it to this day, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's seen a lot of fish. So it's been, been kind of cool. And that's what I always remember when I go fishing is, is what, what he taught me and, you know, what, what he's thinking about. I'm out there with that boat and, you know, it's still getting fish slime on it. So pretty neat. Pretty, very cool. cool now you don't just do open water you also guide ice correct yeah i, I do a little bit of ice i kind of i i kind of i tone it down a little bit in the winter time because i am you know i am a father of two young kids and so i try to kind of back off a little bit in the winter and spend time with the family um but uh but i do do a few trips probably 10 or 15 ice trips you know, in the winter time but um you know in the summertime obviously i I kind of average 40 to 50 trips depending on the year. So it keeps me fairly busy as well. What do you prefer yourself? I, you know, to be honest with you, I like it all. I do love ice fishing just as much as open water fishing, but, uh, just don't, I don't, uh, you know, 
spend as many days at that as I do open water fishing, just because I, I have told myself that I'm kind of, kind of keep that to the open water season and, and just stay busy at that time. And then kind of just have a, not really a vacation, but just take a little bit of a break from it. So yeah, absolutely. You got to have that balance. Oh yeah. got to have balance. <laughs> right. Yeah. The kids are only young for a short time. So I've got a, and they're not going to uh, get a 10 year old daughter and my son's eight years old. So, right. And they're yeah. not going to get any less busy. So they're going to be busy get busier exactly. as they get older so might as well get yeah. that time in now with them and last season I, I did take some time out to uh get them out on the ice quite a bit uh in late ice and so they had a blast doing that so they really like to sight fish bluegills with me so that's pretty fun very cool now i wanted to congratulate you on uh i saw recently you got on st croix uh fishing rods pro staff that uh that's a an elite rod builder here especially in the upper midwest but all over um you know what what did that all consist of um basically <clears throat> i expressed interest to uh one of the uh the reps for saint croix and uh we kind of started talking about the process of possibility of how i could i could help them out and uh and help promote their products and use their products full-time you know through my guiding and uh had an interview and did the resume and kind of the whole whole deal with that and uh just i guess it's a great opportunity they saw something in me that that i could help them out and that i had a passion for it and so it, it all worked out and uh yeah that's gonna be a really cool alliance to uh kind of get really going with it here uh during the ice season they're gonna do a lot of things to help promote them so and you have a couple other companies that that you promote also correct yeah, I also do uh, Crystallized Fishing, uh, which is a, a Southwest Minnesota company. Uh, kind of just a couple gentlemen that that run that and kind of kind of started painting jigs out of their garage, and it's it's really taken off. And now they they've uh, they've got their new packaging, and there's a lot of new things coming here in the next year. Um, they have a lot of a lot of jigs uh, from the panfish side to the walleye stuff, and then they also do walleye spinners as well and then uh the next thing they're going to do is actually coming out with a uh, tungsten ice jig which is very exciting so that's kind of in the works now for hopefully launching that here next winter very cool did i see some crankbaits too crystallized yeah they crank? have crankbaits as well yep right, they just yeah. they just introduced those this year and then uh i also do uh hennings tackle uh dave hennings owns that and he's uh operating that out of uh hartley iowa um, he does a ton of uh, of guiding up on the on the river, and uh, is one of the guides at Allen's. So that's pretty cool. Um, he's got a whole a whole line of different kinds of spinners, um, kind of for everybody's ability. I mean, all all different sizes and shapes, colors. It kind of blow your mind when you see the catalog. But if you're looking for something special, he can do that for you. Kind of customize it. That crystallize that that you talked to. Uh, for those of us that are listening and not reading crystallize, that's actually not like, it's actually crystal eyes, like crystal, it's crystal eyes. eyes. Yeah. So, so basically what that is, is it's actually, and there's no other jig that has that on, on it's, it's a lure. It's a Swarovski crystal eyeball, um, a really high end crystal that they use and it, it refracts light like nothing else on the market. So that's kind of a, a neat, unique thing for that jig. So that's, that's why it's special. 
Yeah, I just I just wanted to make sure because somebody who was just listening may not have picked that up if they hadn't heard that. And yeah, when I saw that they were Swarovski crystals, like my mom and aunt, like we've been on vacation before where they've got to stop into the Swarovski store. And I've seen the prices on some of that stuff. So like you said, that's, that's some pretty high end stuff. <clears throat> yeah, and it's a premium jig. Um, so, I mean, the cost is a little higher um, because it is. It is exactly that Swarovski crystal, and then you've also got the the premium hook and uh, um, the really nice paint job that's very durable as well. So. After you started promoting them, or, or maybe well, once I became friends with you and and I realized uh, you know what they were, I went to Shields and I actually bought some. I went down to the river here in town, which is Snag City, and, and I, I, <laughs> okay. I I put one on and I tossed it out, and it was like, oh yeah, this is awesome. I don't know if it maybe got three, four casts, and it was like, yeah, no more crystallize in the river. <laughs> yeah, it was probably kind of painful. <laughs> yeah. So now, with you being out on the water as much as you are during the year, whether it be the summertime or wintertime, you got to have some pretty crazy stories that you you know. Absolutely. Some crazy yep. fish catches that you've come across or just like some, some ones that really stand out to you in the boat. The biggest one for me would be, uh, when, when I had a friend of mine decided that he wanted to go open water fishing with a brand new, uh, St. Croix Mojo ice rod that he had. And, uh, it was only a 20 inch ice rod and he spooled it up with two pound tests and he had his, uh, you know, Vexlar electronics over the side and he was, you know, catching bluegills left and right. And, uh, he set into one and then it just stopped. And then that rod doubled over and, and the drag just started going. I'm like, yeah, you don't have a bluegill. Now you have a bluegill and a muskie on. And, uh, I said, well, we're going to try to get this in. I said, yeah, hopefully it'll not take all the line off that reel. So, um, scream and drag, you know, it's always, it always seems longer the fight of the fish than it really is, but it probably was a, a solid 15 minutes, um, you know, just trying to wear the fish out and, and uh, you know, get it, get a good net job and then, you know, put the glove on, get the glove wet and take a quick picture and get it back in so the fish didn't get stressed. It was kind of the late summer, so it wasn't, the water wasn't extremely hot then either. But, uh, but no, we, we ended up getting it netted. I don't know how it all worked out, but, uh, you know, uh, number four, millimeter tungsten jig and uh it all got done so that was pretty crazy on two pound test and it ended up being a 40 inch muskie that was the that was the crazy part so now did he neat. actually have a bluegill on and the muskie ate the bluegill or did he actually <laughs> yeah, so, hook- yeah so he set the hook in the bluegill and he had the bluegill and he basically got two cranks in about 18 foot of water the the rod just stopped and bent bent over and then the drag commenced to just screaming out so um, but yeah, he grabbed the bluegill in such a manner that he actually, uh, I think the bluegill actually came off and for some crazy reason, they actually got the hook back into the, uh, the muskie right in the top of the lip. So I have no idea how that didn't get, uh, <laughs> that line didn't get nicked just a little bit and, and right. break, but, uh, well, you don't got to know how, how it happened. <laughs> just know that it did. That's, yeah. that's awesome. Exactly. Exactly. And we've had that happen a couple of times um, a couple of years ago at it a gentleman uh, do the same thing and we, we ended up with a 38 inch muskie but like i said we weren't targeting them it just it just worked out that uh we got a cool story out of the deal and they had they had a blast obviously uh catching a fish like that when they're bluegill fishing that is one cool thing about over there at okaboji is when you're reeling in i mean 
reeling in a bluegill or something like that, you never know what could come up behind it and try to eat it. I mean, yeah, we, we were exactly. on, we were on Easter one time we were catching yellows and our buddy was reeling one in and I was looking, I was like, uh, there's something behind it. And it was about a 28 inch walleye was following that. It was a big yellow bass too. And, and then a little bit later, I think Scott had a, it was either a Northern or a musky. We really couldn't tell cause it happened so fast. Come shooting out from underneath of the boat and swipe at his and then go away too. It drew blood on that. Uh, that that was the closest I've ever been to catching a muskie. If it was a muskie, I'd like to believe Very it was. Cool. <laughs> you got to believe it was. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no. Now, Darren, uh, you've got a really cool job. I mean, you, your day job. You you have a day job, and then you obviously do the guiding on the side. Um, tell us what you do. Well, so with, with not, if we could we could do a whole segment on this, but uh, go I'm ahead. Not too, in, too in depth <laughs> about it, but. Uh, yeah, no, I have a, a very cool job. Uh, I work for the Iowa Department of Natural Resources as a wildlife technician um, here in northwest Iowa. So we, we cover five counties. Um, we do uh, Dickinson, Lyon, Osceola, O'Brien, and Sioux counties. And uh, we stay fairly busy. So basically what we do is we work and take care of all the public hunting areas in those five counties. So whether that be, you know, doing prescribed burns in the spring um, you know, keeping the signage looking nice, planting native grass, uh, doing food plots for, uh, you know, sunflowers for, uh, the doves, uh, our dove season that we've had for a while now. Um, you know, I get in on really cool stuff, like do the spotlight, uh, deer surveys in the spring. Um, that's awesome. Uh, basically, you know, run a, run two transects in each of those counties on a North and South transect. Um, basically have a couple, couple guys in the truck and the guy driving where he's, um, you know, tabulating it on, he's got, we have tablets now and it's pretty sophisticated. So we see that deer, we enter the information, the weather at the time, um, at the time we start the route and at the end and kind of get a, kind of a cool layout of where the deer are and give, give us an, you know, a number of the population, a general number for that County. So we can kind of see from year to year where they're at, you know, the trends. Now, so get get involved with that quite a bit. Now let's be honest, you've seen some slammers, haven't you? Well, in that at that time of year they've lost their antlers. Oh, so okay, okay. Um, we're we're talking about, you know, like March, April time. So okay. yeah, we don't usually see any with horns on them um at that time of year. So right people think, you know, a lot of times they, they think we're out doing something we shouldn't be, but uh Yeah, you know, how many yeah, times do you get called in? Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes we we always call the comm center and let them know in that county, you know, what, what we're doing and then roughly what time we'll be done. So they they kind of know if they get a call from somebody that's that, that it's us and that's what we're doing in, in the vehicle we're in and stuff. So and then something else, too, I get involved with is the is the August roadside counts for pheasants. Um, so we do a 30 mile route um, within a couple of our counties every year. And that helps us kind of figure out you know, what the hatch was like and from year to year and also get population trends from that as well. And then we also ban morning doves. Um, we have to do a hundred of those every year. So that's, that's pretty cool too. Um, basically trapping those. We, we, uh, we pick an area. Typically we have a, we're doing conversion. So we've, we've, uh, planted a field to natives trying to reconstruct what was there, you know, maybe a hundred years ago. Um, and uh then we'll mow it short several times throughout the growing season so those those roots can get established and go down and, and get get settled in there and then uh 
we kind of pick a field where we've been seeing doves. So we kind of look for that. And when it's mowed down, they like the real short stuff. And then, of course, they like the bare dirt, too. So we'll put a little bit of millet out for them and, and set out a, a trap where they, they walk in and it funnels them into the trap, but then they can't get back out. So Very cool. What is, what's the roadside numbers for the pheasants looking like this year? Um, it's, it's up, it's up slightly. Is it really? I think, I think the overall trend was, was kind of steady throughout the whole state. If you looked at everything. Um, but I mean, there's, there's little hot spots here and there where it looks like it could be pretty decent again, but, uh, I saw a fair amount of birds on a route. Um, it was a couple of them were down slightly from where we were, but, uh, I've seen in some of the other counties, I've seen a fair amount of, of young ones this year. So that's good. Yeah. I think it'll be a good season again. I think South Dakota and Minnesota had both said that they were down. Is that right? I, I well, no. I believe so. Yeah, I haven't looked at their numbers real close, but kind of to keep more track of ours here. But uh, yeah, yeah, well, I think I, I did hear that though. Well, good with all the with all the water that we had earlier this year. You know, it, it didn't exactly look great. But absolutely. Now you've had some, you've done some crazy cool things with your job. Uh, yesterday when we were talking, you had talked about uh, trapping wild turkeys. Tell us about that. Yeah, um, I just I had a chance to uh, early in my career when I was I was still not a full time uh, person. Where uh, got to help with you know reintroducing some birds into another area outside of Iowa. They wanted some birds um, in Oklahoma and Texas. Um, kind of doing some stuff of getting the eastern strain going uh, in those areas, and so um, you know we were basically trapped in, in the dead of winter. So. I was over at, uh, over by Green Island, uh, the Makokota area. And basically we, you know, had, uh, had a spot where we'd try to, try to groom it out so the turkeys could find, we obviously baited with corn and then we had to set up, uh, charges and we had to set up a net that was connected to those charges, uh, with chains and, and basically it's a, it's a rocket net. And, uh, we had a charge in the blind and we had to wait for those turkeys to come in there off the roost and they coming in the corn and you wanted all their heads to be down because those rocket nets weren't very far off the ground and you didn't want to hurt those birds when you shot the net so you'd try to kind of wait while they were all simultaneously pecking with their heads down so you didn't have any mortality that way so we wanted to take care of what we were doing there um and then you know it's, it's you know 20 below some days you're out there and you're kind of just sitting there in the box blind just waiting uh for that that chance to get what you need. And there were some days where we just wanted male birds, um, you know, mature toms and that kind of thing. So some days we would, we would actually have turkeys in there, but we didn't, we didn't want, uh, you know, a different gender. So we were kind of looking for certain ones that from day to day. Um, and then we had to get those birds out once we trapped them. So we actually had, we had boxes with us that collapsed and we had to get them in there safely. And then, uh, we had to use a snowmobile to get them out. And it was not an easy task, uh, with all the drifted stone and things like that, depending on how far it was off the road. So that was a pretty, pretty neat experience. I got to have that and see the sunrise and set in the, you know, in the Maquoketa River Valley. So that was pretty neat. Are those birds just going bananas when you get up to them? I, <laughs> I mean, it's like having to I, wrestle one of those things. I yeah, shot it, a turkey one time and we thought it was dead and, and that thing went nuts. And, and I grabbed it by the tail feathers and it was, it was spurring at me. It was, it was crazy. Yeah, it's a wrestling match. Um, you know, their their spurs and their feet are kind of tangled up in the net as long as it, 
as well as their wings and and uh you're trying to you know keep them calm obviously you know they're they're stressed out a little bit but you're trying to handle them as little as possible to get them in the box safely so that they can be transported and then we transport them and uh a vet would you know draw some blood and and check them for overall health before we got shipped to where they were going and loaded up on a plane or or driven down to where they were going to go so that was pretty neat experience most people don't get to do things like that and so pretty thankful that i have the job i do right and and you also told me about a prairie chicken uh extravaganza so so in about 2017 there was a there's you know historically iowa in the 1800s had they were the most you know numerous game bird uh back then the bag limits were like 25 to 50 birds a day um and then you know by the 1890s their numbers were greatly reduced because of over hunting and uh so there there's just a couple you know pockets here and there that remain uh down in uh they try to do several reintroductions in different areas but uh what we were doing in 2017 was helping with a reintroduction um to get the birds kind of get get them going at the kellerton area down in the extreme southern iowa and then at the dunn ranch which is like two miles south of there in missouri because um, historically there was a population that remained there just a few birds and they were just trying to bolster their, those numbers so we went out to nebraska and uh had you know this was all researched before so they had to line up places to catch these birds where these booming grounds were at um and then they find these little lecks where they'd go in and and do their dancing and their whooping for the for the females and you know we had to set up these clover leaf traps with long runs so that when these birds flew in we were hopefully on the x where they wanted to dance and those leads would actually funnel them into the trap so there was a lot of waiting and hoping that they were going to go where our traps were and you're basically you know you're you're getting these on short grass pastures that have been you know they've been hayed and uh you know hay fields and things like that so because they want to be able to see so if a predator comes you know they've got a chance to to fly out of there so they want to have a lot of visibility and also they can draw those hens in from a long ways as well so um but yeah it's it's basically a big expanse out there and you can you can see for a long ways and and uh, we basically set up in like turkey blinds uh once we had our traps set we set those up the day before and uh, if we didn't have success, we'd have people kind of scouting other areas so we could, we could reset our traps. And then those are ready when you go in and, and hit the blind in the morning and you just kind of wait for those birds to start flying into that area. And, you know, you'd, you'd maybe just sit a morning and you'd have success or you might sit all day and the birds never did get into the trap, but they were there. So it was an incredible experience to watch those birds dance and, and fill their air sacs on the side of their face and, uh, you know, and do their dance for the females to try to court them. So now one of the cool things about them prairie chickens is they come back to the exact same area every single year to, to do their breeding. Yeah. They have that, you know, instinct where they're, they're going right back there to, to do their thing again. So those are, those areas are pretty precious for that reason. Um, and you know, with more habitat that will help those, those birds be successful as well. You know, longer tracks that are aren't broken up of those those type of grassland areas uh, will really help those birds their survival rate a lot more too so that's crazy cool um 
Yeah, before we let you go, Darren, um, obviously this is a fishing podcast, and we did do a lot of of, of, of hunting yeah. and 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 whatnot. Um, but back back to your guiding. Um, it, well, not necessarily guiding, but if if you were to go out and and do fishing, you know, you said you you kind of do bluegill, but uh, tell tell the people that don't uh, that don't necessarily know Okaboji what they can all find in Okaboji and, and Spirit Lake uh, for species wise. Absolutely. So obviously we're, we've got a, a phenomenal uh, panfish fishery, which that's going to entail the bluegills, uh, perch, the yellow bass have obviously they're prolific breeders. They've taken off. It's, it's a great way to, to catch a bunch of fish. They're uh, basically not indigenous to the area. They're invasive. Uh, there's no limit on the yellow bass. So, if you're looking for a big fish fry, I mean, some of those fish are pushing, you know, 12 inches. Uh, a lot of those 10, 11 inch fish are just a blast to catch on, on light tackle, whether it be, you know, under a bobber fishing or, you know, vertical jigging them next to a dock. Um, and then as far as the, the other species, you know, we've got phenomenal large mouth and small mouth up here, as well as uh, walleyes northern pike i mean those are kind of the big ones in the course if a guy wants to chase a muskie um you know i think it, there's not as many as there used to be here but i think the ones you know you could you catch would be you know bigger <laughs> trophy you know, I mean, caliber i've yep. seen over the last couple of years i've seen you know some people catch them 48 49 50 inch uh, i mean it's not not too often it happens but i've seen a few caught in the tournament the last couple of years that we have up here so um, some guys if that's what he's into, you can definitely chase muskies as well. But typically we don't target muskies on our guide trips. Um, you know, just like they say, a fish of 10,000 casts, you know, we might try to go musky fishing and nothing ever happens or you might not even have a follow. So I kind of put the money where the fish is and, and stick with things that are going to bite for us. So absolutely. Now speaking- I was going to talk to a little bit about, uh, you know, kind of what we do is we try to, we're full service. We will pick you up. Uh, if you're at your resort on the lake somewhere, um, we can come pick you up right at the dock or we can make arrangements to pick you up. You can, you know, if you want to drive to one of the bays, um, we'll coordinate that and, and pick you up if you want to drive and meet us somewhere. Or if you're, let's say you're staying at a resort and, you know, obviously if the kids and mom are going to do something else and go to the park or something and you can't get to the lake, we'll, we'll also pick you up and, and, uh, you know, chauffeur you down to the where we're going to fish at as well so and basically you know we're full service we'll we'll bait your hook for you we'll take the fish off the whole works i mean you're just there to just there to catch fish and relax if that's what you want to do and uh basically just need your fishing license and come dress for the weather and we do the rest um everything in the fee is included in in the guide service um for that day um you know the boat gas the tackle all that stuff's included so do you know you do half and full days yeah or? we don't do a lot of a lot of full days but um we di- we certainly offer that and then most of the time it's just a it's a four-hour trip's what we offer so okay. and and sometimes when we're on a, a really hot bite let's say it's the end of the trip you know i i'm not real strict on time if we're on a hot bite and they're out they're still having fun we'll go a little longer as well because we don't want to take shorten your experience on, right. on that too now how many people can you accommodate um i can do uh you know, two adults, two kids fairly easily. Um, three adults is optimal in my boat. Uh, I have a tiller, so that's typically what I do. Um, 
on the accommodation side of how many I can take comfortably. Right on. Um, before we let you go, uh, if, if somebody's looking uh, to go on a trip up in Okaboji, how, how might they get a hold of you? So the best way would be to, um, you can either personal message me on Facebook at, at Big Fin Guide Service LLC or, or call me at 712-420-9972. Perfect. And uh, typically I'll, I'll answer right away. If I don't, obviously you can leave me a voicemail and I'll, I'll get back to you the same day. Awesome. Well, well, like I said, I appreciate you uh, swinging in. I'm glad we finally yeah. got this in, and uh, yeah, I absolutely. Thanks what? for having me, and I appreciate what you guys are are doing on on the podcast, remote fishing, and and getting the word out to people what what goes on in the uh, Iowa Great Lakes. Well, I appreciate yeah, sure. uh, we appreciate you too. I, I really think that you're a top notch professional over there. You always do a good job with your social media, uh, you know, promoting good, clean fishing, and yeah. Uh, we appreciate I you appreciate too. appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks you guys a lot, have a good Darren. one. Yeah, right. you too. See you, Darren. All right. Thank you. There he goes. Darren Jones from the Big Fin Guide Service. Wow. Can you, could you imagine a 40 inch muskie on ice fishing gear, on a two pound test line during the summer? Right. And, and the fact that he had to go all around the boat, Just you know, chasing it. right. I mean, I mean it's one thing when it's down your hole and I mean, you can yeah, hold it yeah. in that area, but yeah. Almost have to fire up the big motor to follow it around. It's almost like comparable, maybe when they're fighting a tuna or something. When it, when you got a little micro rod like that, you don't have a ton of line. No, I mean <laughs> I, I don't know how you have to chase the fish around. Probably about those things say hold 50, 60 yards. Right, line, right. Maybe. No, that's way cool. Way sure. cool. Oh yeah. The wild turkeys is cool. The yeah. the you prairie chickens. You know, just getting to drive around and see a lot of the different right areas up here and i mean i i can tell you this much i bet you if we want to know where some good public land hunting spots are get a hold oh of yeah yeah he knows <laughs> he does the he does the controlled burns up in right. this neck of the woods uh the top top six counties up here so yeah way cool but uh yeah no some big news uh possibly in the bass fishing world yeah. today uh i did i actually looked a little while ago and i don't think that there's an actual press release on it so it could strictly be hearsay yet maybe by the time uh this uh everybody's listening then right right we're recording this a couple days before it's uh uh before we're going to release this episode but apparently the mlf has purchased the flw and they're going to be getting rid of the flw tour and uh the costas will be the feeder system into the mlf uh i don't know man it's going to be interesting to see how that works well, like you, you've brought up the point of how are they going to be able to do that to find that many people to be boat officials for, I mean, there's 200 boats at least, coasts, I mean, yeah, at least they're bigger. Right. Than, them yeah. coasters, uh, I mean, there's, there's coasters with 300, I think. Right. Uh, you're not going to find that many officials just to go out. There. I mean, unless you're paying really, I mean, if they're paying really good, they want to pay us to go do it. I'll, I mean, I'll sit out there and wait fish if they're. You know, paying our airfare, paying. Our, I mean, I, I just don't, don't see how it all works. Yeah, I, I don't know, Boyd. Boyd. How, how funny would it be if they're like, we're going to leave the coasters the way they are, and then we're going to take the top guys from the coasters and bring them to the MLF? Aren't you just kind of contradicting what you're everything, right, right. everything the MLF is about? Like your feeder system is still the five fish limit weigh-ins and all this stuff, and those those will be more exciting weigh-ins to watch than the actual professional series that they're talking i'd 
I don't know. I, I think they've got to. And, and I, I was kind of yakking with a dude on Facebook last night and he was saying, Oh, that's easy technology to put on there. Uh, you know, you could put a tablet in each boat and have a scale that hooks onto the tablet and, you know, they could, they could weigh it with the tablet and, and, you know, put the fish right back in there. I'm telling you guys right now, cheating is going to be an issue if there's oh, not an, an official issue. in there. I mean, well, the, not just not just cheating. Just you're relying that much on technology, and we all use technology. How much does it? Hundred percent of the time, always work. Hundred percent of the time. No, it doesn't. No, you and run into it doesn't. stuff. I mean, I don't know. I, I just don't know how that's gonna all. I mean, they, you know, they're having trouble. All the all the you know the elite series and the MLF can't get enough marshals in the boats for for even some uh, you know right. the big events. They're, they're for sure not going to get 300 people. And like you said, yeah, maybe if they pay good, and I guess Boyd will probably spend a little bit more of Johnny Morris's money, but I don't know. I don't see it happening. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. You know, what, what Bass needs to do, if that is true, you know, there's going to be a lot of people that have been fishing these other circuits that are going to be looking for other avenues to fish. Right. And if bass, you know, I don't know if they could come out with a, a they need to do something different with the opens instead of the Eastern open and a central open. I think that they're going to have to do a, you know, a Northern open, a central we'll open, a Southern to, open. Go back to a little bit like they used to have. Right. Just two series, go back to like three or four series. I think bass might be the one that comes out on the winning end of this one. I, I don't know, but they can strike while the, while the fire's hot. I mean, right, right. I don't know, and there's going to be, you know, it, it, it's kind of interesting. John Cox has been fishing a lot of the Central Opens, and I right. believe that he's at a spot right now, unless he bombed today on Grand, which I don't know. Uh, I think he's at a spot that he will qualify for the Elite Series. Well, he's well, he, obviously he not. He already did through the Eastern Opens. Did he? Yeah, okay. I think he already. Okay. I think that he already did through the Eastern Opens. Okay. Already, well, so. yeah. So he's obviously, like you say, qualified for the Elite Series. Uh, it'll be interesting to see, you know, will the Elite Series expand their field? Will they have 100 boats now? They'll go back to the old 100 boats? I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't doubt if they did it, just because we. it'd be great if they did, actually. Right, right. It's it's best. I mean, it's but, 30 more anglers, so it's not like they're adding, like, a ton more. Right. I, I, they're going to have to do something like that. And I saw somewhere somebody said that it was nice having the three tours which it was, it kind of was. It kind of spread, right, the, right. spread the guys out. It gave more of these guys that we haven't heard of yet an opportunity to get up onto that and you know stay up on that stage and kind of perform and start gaining more fans and everything like that. Now, if the FLW is closing, I mean, like Austin Felix, I saw from Minnesota, he finished up in the top six, I think, for points during the Eastern Open, and he was still trying to make that decision of. You know, if he's going to go to the elites or if he's going to stick with the FLW, well, you know, here you go. I feel bad for the guys that fished the FLW Tour this year and didn't really fish the Opens for points. Right, right, because now they're dead in the water. Like, is the MLF going to take those guys now? Like, how are they going to do that? Like, yeah, are they going to say, okay, you guys finished in the top 30 of points in the, you know, in the FLW you guys qualify for the MLF tour now. And then those guys, what if those guys are like, well, I don't want to fish the MLF tour. Now what if, 
here you go. They made the top level of professional fishing and on one of the professional tours. Well, now I got to go back to grinding on the open series or. Right. And I think a lot of people don't, I, I think a lot, a lot of people think that the FLW anglers aren't as good as the other two. I would dare say that the FLW has oh, the best, out. actually has the best all around angler in, in the world, bass fisherman in Brian Thrift. Right. Oh yeah, for sure. And you know, and John Cox seems to catch. Right. 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 It's, I mean, there's a lot of these guys that are on the elite tour now that are on the MLF tour right now that five, six years ago, they were the top dogs in the FLW. And when they came over to bass, they were lighting it up. I mean, right. I never heard of them until they get there because I never really followed the FLW tour as much as I've just always been a bass guy. So. Right. No, no, definitely some interesting stuff. We'll see what the coming days bring and uh, definitely a shakeup. Right. So. It's, yeah. Hopefully, hopefully it ends up being good. I just, for everybody, you know, for all the anglers is what I hope. I hope yep. it's not just a, you know, a business thing on the MLF, the MLFs. Right. And the other thing, the other thing I kind of forgot to mention when we were out at lacrosse, I was talking to a boat mechanic and he told me that, uh, there was a angler on the, uh, MLF who was going to be quitting, who was, who was leaving MLF right. and he was trying to get back into bass. Uh, right. I'm, yeah. I'm not going to say who it was because I don't I know that I've, for sure, but I'm, I'm, sure I'm wondering if there's having a little buyer's remorse. Right. There's a lot of guys that were having a lot of success on the Bass Tour or even at FLW Tour now with that format that, you know, the MLF just doesn't really fit into it's the a, And, you know, people a, will say, well, then they just need to adjust to that. Well, you know, they've probably tried, but maybe they like, they just, maybe they like the Bass organization itself more. Right than the other one that they were in. So. Yeah. Well, it'll definitely be interesting. So yeah, and we'll see what the coming, coming days bring. And yeah. To like see all that stuff in the news and get some press. Yep. That's right. So with that, we will leave you until next week on episode 40. This is episode 39 of Midwest Angler Podcast. See ya.